Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for the Boston Celtics. I'm your host, Justin Poole, and John Duke, as always, and for our 600th episode, and and that is a loose figure, by the way, everybody, a little bit loose, but for our 600th episode, we brought on the one, the only, Sean Grandy for the first time in video here on Celtic Stuff Live. Sean, loving having you on to celebrate this special occasion. The pleasure, as always, is yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that the first time you used that line? I'm not. Yeah, even... It's an old, you know, it's funny. I did uh, MMA with, uh, toward, towards the end, the last few MMA shows I did, I did with Chael Sonnen, who sort of, you know, took all the old school, uh, sort of hacky wrestling heel stuff. And would incorporate it into his into his MMA persona, and that was always a you know that was always a he'd either end with that or he'd end with and you're welcome, you know. Ooh, and you're welcome. That's a special thing here on on Celtic Stuff Live and our outtakes. Yep. Well, John, why don't you tell him the story? Because there's no way Sean doesn't have a response to uh, how we came up with your welcome to close the show. Yeah, real. I mean, it's very simple. You've, as as someone who's been on a number of podcasts, Sean, you've you've been a, a, a guest on so many of these, and you've probably heard one or two of them. And it seems like we have a number of podcasters out there who love to apologize for the length or the content running over, as if they had have to hit a hard break or something. And I and it just it drives me completely bananas. So we were talking about it on the show, being old school podcasters as Justin and I are, and I just I, I kind who of used to run six hour shows, six hour and shows. People would love the six hour draft night show, right? And so instead of saying we're sorry that this show went on for sixty minutes, and and you, we're sorry you listened that long, if you get to that point in the show, you should just be welcome. You're welcome. So that's how we close it. I think the fact that you – I think it was important that you subjected everybody to all of that useless content just for the time <laughs> I would come on to class it up, to spice it up. You would, you would stars all about. There were times when I think you would come on like twice. You'd give us like a 10-minute or right after the pick, and then you'd come back and give us you know, a 45-minute breakdown of the entire draft night, right? Yeah, it was something like that. You you guys know I always, I always had a blast because I could sort of break out this – the heel – persona which i never really get to use because like max takes that for himself on our show (laughs) i never get so i almost never get to use it and it was just like a fun it was always a fun place to sort of uh 
experiment with that. And the funny thing about that, Sean, is in a medium like podcasting, the idea that either Justin or I could be a face is probably the most hilarious thing of all. And now that Skype is in the picture, people are realizing there is no face there to be concerned with in any way. So I guess the facade is blown, blown entirely. It's a real kayfabe situation I, yeah, here. I'm not, I don't know if this is if this really fits podcasts or not. I mean, I guess it's really the same thing as a podcast. It's just I think the idea of podcasts is that there are things you can enjoy. You can do other things while you're doing them, and you're not glued to – there's no – you know, it's not necessary to well, – granted, when you have this face – Everybody's gathered around watching it. I understand that. But generally speaking, the concept, the concept that <laughs> you can do other stuff while this is while this is happening. I think it was just, you know, when they put Scal and I on the same screen at the same time, that was just that was almost too much for people. That was like too much joy, too much goodness, too much light in one screen. But we were captivated. Honestly, I don't even think I changed the channel for several days beyond that. I saw many, many infomercials. I was just hoping it was coming back on. I was hoping yeah, I three days later they were running it again. You know, I just think the Celtics have had the best record in the NBA since that day, by the way. So who knows? Not, not a mistake. Clearly not a mistake. Although Justin likes to, just have to roll it back. Yeah, yeah. Justin, is this is this where you want to take your uh, your victory lap, or do you want to wait for later on when we've it's just not interest. really a victory lap no, just because I is. predicted that they would skid, uh, you know, at the after the holidays and you getting all semantical on Twitter with me today. But uh, by the way, Sean, Merry Christmas. Um, see, somebody still has their tree up, John. I will. I will. I, I fight to the dying of the light. And that's that's partially a function of, you know, the the job is that we travel during the holidays. We don't get the same number of holidays. People come home. And they'll get like those two weeks around the holidays to really soak it all in. That's when we're traveling. That's when we're working. So we take a little bit on December 16th and a little bit on December 23rd and on January 3rd and January 8th. And you, you take it when you can get it. But um, and, and you believe in the magic. But I will say this. That's a really good point. How does that impact people's lives? Do you know what I mean? Like as a player, as, I mean, I know you obviously have a perspective on it. But if you're going to play a professional sport that's running during the winter – and especially where the Celtics played on Christmas Day this year, that does have an impact on their family relationships, doesn't oh, it? Oh, well, I, I remember um, one year, years ago, when I was doing college football at ABC, there was one year I had, well, it was one of my first years in the NBA, maybe Minnesota, where I literally missed Labor Day, Columbus Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, Valentine's Day, my wife's birthday, all of the above, which is why I ended up having an ex-wife, uh, this is what this is the way it it sort of goes. This is what you trade. We're in the entertainment field, and our job is to perform when people are at home, and that is at night, and that is during the holidays, and all that stuff does it does matter. I think the biggest the way I would try to explain it to people is that not as many people have Monday to Friday jobs as they used to have. There's less tradition in a lot of ways and families and at work, but if you have anything remotely like that, you know that Monday feels like Monday. Friday feels like Friday, Wednesday, every, these days have a feel that completely goes away in this line of work. Saturday is like a Tuesday. There's no, nothing that does not exist. And that's hard to explain. You know, my whole life, you're, you're coming through school. And the first few years back when I worked at, at WEI back in the nineties, you had a Monday to Friday base schedule. So you remember what it felt like, but I'm, I'm like Andy Dufresne and I'm a Brooks. I'm an institutional man. Now this is 22 years 
in the league. So you go by the NBA schedule. As we're talking now, it's Friday afternoon, and it is a very strange feeling for me to not be getting ready to go to the Garden because the Celtics schedule was so traditional for so many years, and it's changed. I've got a you know one of those useless Grandy stats coming tomorrow about the Celtics have four Saturday night home games coming up in January and February. In the previous 15 years, we've had 10. So that's how rare. But the TNT schedule and the ABC schedule have changed the traditional. But that's what it feels like. Friday Friday feels like Friday because there's a Celtics home game. That's the, you know, Thursdays used to be an off day. It's and, all like, oriented to what you're doing for work. And yeah. uh, 100% everybody experiences that, but yours is totally different, totally, totally different. I'm going to be at one of those Saturday night games. I'm actually taking the entire family. My girls will see their first Celtics game uh, against Houston in February, so I'm looking forward to that. So, in other words, people thought they might not get really information that they could use from this podcast, but now they know you're going to be in attendance. Oh, I didn't even think about the that. Games, and that's, that's now they know how to take me out. They didn't, Just they don't do it in front yeah, of my it family. Is, it is weird. <laughs> Plus, that's like Saturday, Saturday night at 8.30. The other thing with TV now, we get the strange right, start times, and it's it is kind of bizarre. And those, as any longtime listener of Celtics broadcast would know, I do not react terribly well to the early morning games. And we've had our share. We had the noon game in Toronto, and when I say a noon game, that means we're getting there at night. Like that's a noon game. I've said for many years that the only people in the world whose job starts five hours earlier the next day are drug dealers, airline pilots, and us. Like that's that's the only place that where that happens, and it's it's hard to get all your the same amount of work done when NBA games are ending at one thirty in the morning, and you've got to be on the bus at nine, like getting ready to do. It's just a weird dynamic to it, um, but it's strange when you're playing at eight thirty and you can't keep track. We have a whole separate situation with us where we share a radio station with the Bruins, so then you have to check the Bruins schedule. What time are we coming on? And um, so it's kind of it's a uh, bizarre schedule. Well, not only do you have a difficult time with the noon games, but traditionally the Celtics do, which ties right into that whole right around this time of year. They're good for a skid. It doesn't even matter the makeup of the team. Well, part of the reason that's kind of where I know this. I'm not bragging to you, John. I'll do it on Twitter. You're bragging to Sean. That's cool. It's totally cool. No, it's, it's that's, that's what, if I if I were if I were you guys, I would be bragging to me if I had this opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I, what I was telling. Now this everyone can find out. I was telling do this. Yeah. I was telling you. I was telling them before we started was it's harder to keep the heel persona up now that you could see it because normally I could do the bit and then I could sort of like laugh into the phone or whatever. But now it's hard to. It's yeah, what's that thing? you got to hold. You got to hold character. Away. I can't do that on video. Yeah, your face is giving it away. It's great. But they are due for a skid. Do you think it has – I guess that's where I'm getting at is it doesn't matter the makeup of the team. Like it would be one thing if we could say, you know, it's just Kyrie's fault, right, that that happened every year. But that's not the case. It, the team changes, but those struggles seem to be real every time, those noon games and then, you know, this time of year right around the holidays. And that's why I asked about the impact. You know, you had talked about the impact even on your life. But even for the players, do you think that's part of the reason for the letdown? You're just enough games into the season that injuries and kind of the grind sets in. And at the same time, they never really got, you know, the the time with their families. And there's maybe that almost takes them out of sorts as they're trying to squeeze it back in. I would say there's a couple of things that traditionally the Celtics schedules, which has changed over the last few years a lot, 
you were always playing a lot of home games early, and then starting at Christmas, you were out on the road a ton. So that, I think, is attributed to a lot of – so like in that first Rick Pitino year, I think that happened, where they had a ton of home games early, and then you go on the road, and the real life in the NBA settles in. I also think you can't – you're not going to get 82 games playing at a very high level. I think um, what's happening now, it's interesting time, and I'm trying not – we have the tendency now, you're overwhelmed by social media, and you the nature of overreacting to a couple of angry people on Twitter is just so – it's such an easy trap to fall into. And I don't think that people feel the sky is falling. However, there is a – you've got to step back a little bit here and say, as we're talking, they're 25 and 11. This is beyond anybody's wildest imagination as to where they would be. Yes, they've lost three in a row. They had two horrible games. I had no problem with the Philadelphia game. I think if you said take everything else away, you're up. That's the way those games go. Fifth game in seven nights, you come roaring out of the gate. You build a big lead. You're on the road against a really good team, even without Embiid. They're a really good team. You don't hold the lead in your fifth game in seven nights, and you lose to one of the elite teams in the NBA on the road. That one's fine. It's obviously the two that came before it, and the problem is. What I was pondering last night is did they build people's expectations, this team up, so ridiculously high that now they're just infuriated when they actually lose a couple of games? Or, bigger picture, I'm starting to wonder if the inevitable of 20 years of Boston sports has left people with this this high that it takes you competing for a championship and playing in the finals – to get you excited about what's going on. And maybe that's the thing. You had nine Super Bowls and four World Series titles and two NBA finals and three Stanley Cup finals. And all of a sudden, the team that is pretty dramatically overachieving the expectations that were Number three in the league and far exceeding what happened last year, which was supposed to be that year. No doubt. And, you know, I, I wrestle with this because, obviously, it's tough because I am not I'm not an anti-homer, but I walk that line. To the point where I've irritated people over the years a little bit because I will say things like LeBron James is the best player in the game. And I, I find that if you don't call it like you see it, how do people know that you're credible so when you are praising them? So sometimes you become hesitant. I think there's plenty of stuff now between Celtics doing their own in-house things and whatever. That There's a lot of – there's always up with people positive stuff to find about the team. And Max and I always try to keep it positive. But to me, how do you – what negative spin could you possibly put? On what this team has done, because what you knew before the year was, well, they might not be as good, as talented as last year, but it's going to be a lot more fun. And you said to everybody beforehand, everybody that said last year, I just want a team I can root for and a team I enjoy. Well, now you got it. And they they finished last year, you guys remember, the middle of the year. Well, everyone remembers the, the awful beginning. And what I thought, I've said this many times, I wasn't surprised by the start last year because it was a lot of reintegration, Gordon coming back, schedule was tough. Didn't surprise me. I was not surprised by the middle of the year when they were arguably the best team in the league. They were 25-9. They had the best scoring differential. I was surprised by what happened at the end, and I think a lot of that, I've said this many times, goes back to February 1st in New York and the Kyrie Irving ill-fated shoot-around press conference. It's never a surprise to me that everything went south after that. But that middle of the year that nobody ever talked about last year, because in the middle of it you had Kyrie complaining at the end of the Orlando game, Jalen Brown, Mark. But meanwhile, you were 25-9 and with the best scoring differential in the league. This team started 25-8 and with the third best, the second best scoring differential in the league. This team started 
better than the peak of last year, which is beyond everybody's wildest dreams. And yeah, they lost a couple of games. And yeah, it's not too long before people start figuring out that everybody being back together with the eight games, I think they're four and four now, I think with the, with it, with the, with everybody healthy. So everyone's going to start picking at that. And now there's too many guys. and There's not enough. If this goes on for another week or two. Okay. But now they've five and seven nights is done. Schedule's tough. A lot of home games coming up. They start losing to Detroit at home. Losing to Phoenix is pretty good, but if they start losing some of these games. Yeah, the Atlanta, okay. though. Yeah, that's right. where the – yeah, no doubt. So, play well. so you can make that argument that the team is better without Kyrie, but the argument that nobody was going to make was that the team would be better without Horford, right, and especially because they did the swap out. And he had a great night last night, and he kind of stuck it to the Celtics, but he wasn't really all that good before that <laughs> playing about behind that Embiid. So – Right. And well, exactly. And it really it not only did it open up things for a lot of the other players on Philly, you'll never make the argument they're a better team without Embiid. However, it's a nice time for that to happen. And the style of other players being able to emerge, you know, what a great opportunity. And most people who are real good gamers and play the the, the game well are going to take advantage of that one shot that they have. But Horford was good last night, whatever the rest of the year. But can there an argument to be made that the Celtics are also better without Horford? Not because Horford's not a great player, but is there an argument that the team works better because they do get a little more up-tempo? Any see, argument yeah. there? Well, here's the, the fun part of video now is I can see John reacting to the thing. John? John? Go, Sean. Go. Go get him. Drag <laughs> him, Sean. Drag him. So, what about this? How about the argument to be made that what the Sixers did by acquiring Horford was not really helping them but hurting the Celtics' chances of beating them uh, absolutely. in the playoffs more than anything else? Uh, because that's where it really was. And then you got the whole thing of what if Al had known that Kemba was coming and you couldn't have made that deal and all. everything that happened happened. But clearly, Philadelphia has talent that 26 or 27 other teams would trade anything to have. Yet, like last year's Celtics team, it does not fit together perfectly, and that's nobody's fault. You just acquired all of this high-end talent, but it's not the perfect fit. Listen, there are, again, 26 or 27 teams. If you gave them Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid to start with, they would be thrilled, and they'd throw out everything in a heartbeat to start. But that doesn't mean if you had two guys to pick, you would pick those two to fit together because as great as they both are, and I am much higher on Simmons, uh, I am all in on Ben Simmons. I love Ben Simmons, and I think Joel Embiid is one of the five best players in the league. Well, obviously, when he's healthy, he's dominant. I don't think they're perfect together because, obviously, this isn't brain surgery. There's not enough shooting. The most amazing thing about Simmons is he can't shoot. He won't shoot. And yet, as we saw Thursday night, nine times out of ten, he still gets to where he wants to go. So that's pretty impressive. He's, he's an amazing talent. They just – that roster obviously needs more shooting. It's funny that they're trying to get Covington back now, uh, who's the guy who was so underappreciated when he was there. they got to bring Sarge back too. Just bring the band back together. Bellinelli, everybody, get the whole band. Uh, I think to go along that same line of thinking, Sean, you know, it's – there was a lot of talk last night on the Twitter sphere. Not sure how much you were following along in any of that, but there was a lot of talk of, well, maybe now we should look at Gordon Hayward. Is Gordon Hayward the piece that is extra? Is he the piece that doesn't fit? We're going to build around Jason and, and Jalen. 
and use that tar- that salary to go elsewhere. And then, of course, we all know that there's the emotional situation and what happened with Gordon and all of that, his relationship with Brad Stevens. But a night like last night where uh, if he was playing he the same way he like, was before the injury, nobody yeah, but, would be saying that. But, but he's not, and we also and he has a foot injury that they still haven't really explained, other than mm-hmm. it was nerve pro. There was, there's nerve damage in there, or, or there's a nerve issue, I guess. I, that's, I don't want to be too specific about it, but the ankle. So foot? Is that, I didn't hear that. Is there's it the a same foot? foot. Yeah, same foot. So you know, I look at it, and it's about fit, right? I mean, that's the truly special teams fit talent together. And the Sixers have maybe two, maybe they're trying to fit those two pieces that aren't seamless. Last night, you take one of those pieces away and everything looked beautiful. I mean, that team, I mean, the Sixers look great. You take immense talent like Embiid and it, there's just, if you can make it work, great. Good on Brett Brown, great on the Sixers. Is there some similarities there in that sometimes that abundance of talent is such a, it's so difficult it's only under those special situations where you can really break through and doesn't could possibly Boston have a similar situation at a lesser talent level. Well, let me see if that situation's ever happened here. I seem to remember, oh, yeah, six months of my life I'll never get back last year watching the 2019 Celtics try to do that exact same thing. Right. Now, I don't – I'm not even close to going going there with this year's team because I think the beauty of it is Gordon Hayward and Kemba Walker have very clearly – been done what has been asked of them and if it's a Jalen Knight or a Jason Knight and there haven't been as many Jason Knights I think as people would like there to have been and I think we forget that he could be a senior at Duke right now and is 21 years old how scary would that be by the way right now if he was if he was still there but I think that's sort of the beauty of it is that when when Gordon's out there the ball's moving and if you want to say it's a combination that they don't fit together I, I haven't seen that you had a fluke night last night in the fifth game in seven nights where Jason Richardson outscored Hayward, Brown, and Tatum combined. They went 10 for 26 from the floor, and the Celtics still were within four. You know, I have a tough time just trying to decide if that was – I call games losses. I either call them knockout losses or not, or you were there at the end. Like this, Because what was amazing to me, the opening night was a knockout loss. Celtics did not have a chance to win that game in the final few minutes. And then – they went 30-something games until that home game against Toronto. They literally had a chance to win every game. That never happens. That's the most amazing thing about this team to this point was that they went that 30-some-odd games, had a chance to win every game. Think about the losses. Indiana, they had a chance to win. The Sixer game was close at the end. The Clippers, obviously, they were up by seven with a minute 20 to go, and that was an overtime game. Should have won that game. That of game, that they game was a winning, yeah. Right. And there are games that go the other way, but the point is you have to give yourself a chance to win every night. And last night was sort of an – I can't figure it out. It was kind of in between because they were within four, but then they didn't really have a chance in the last couple of minutes. But there have been so few of that. How can you question how they – there's not enough sample size really in some ways because the injury to Hayward. But when Hayward got hurt, everything was rolling. The Celtics were the best team in the league at that point. Hayward, by the way, was playing at an all-star level. If Hayward doesn't get hurt, Hayward has had an all-star year. It's just not enough games. He won't be in the all-star game because he hasn't played enough games. Celtics stuff live.
The divisional round is here, and you can follow all the lines at Bet Online. On Saturday, six seed Minnesota heads west to San Fran, while Tennessee visits Baltimore as a heavy underdog. On Sunday, Houston takes on KC, and Seattle heads into the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field, where Green Bay are a four-point favorite. Will we see another round of major upsets? Before the next kickoff, head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bring the playoffs home with our exclusive sportsbook partner, BetOnline. I live in Maine, but I like watching teams all over the country. I like to watch... The Kings sometimes, and hopefully we get Rashawn Holmes. We'll see. I like to see the Suns. Maybe see how Aaron Baines is doing. But it used to be a huge pain for me because they don't always show their games in my area because it's tough to find them. But this season, I discovered an amazing trick that lets me watch every single NBA game live for just a fraction of the normal cost. It's called ExpressVPN. Here's how it works. The NBA offers League Pass, which lets you stream games online. But if you live in the U.S. or Canada, it doesn't let you watch all of them. Some of those games are blacked out. So what do you do? What you do is you fire up ExpressVPN and use it to change your location to a different country. Buy and use the NBA League Pass from there, and boom, no blackouts. And depending on the country, NBA League Pass could cost less than 15 bucks for a whole year. That's nuts. ExpressVPN works on your phone, your computer, your router, and consoles like Fire TV, so you can watch all the games from any device. Even when I'm not watching the NBA, I have ExpressVPN on 24-7 because it encrypts all my data, keeping it safe from those hackers out there. Enjoy all 1,230 games of the NBA season in HD with the world's most trusted VPN, ExpressVPN. So... Use my special link today to get three months free at expressvpn.com slash CSL, after which you sign up for NBA League Pass at a huge discount. That's that's expressvpn.com slash CSL for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash CSL to learn more. What do you think about the idea of that closing lineup where they had, well, it wasn't even a closing lineup because they ended up putting Tice in for Jalen, but, you know, the the best five, you know, the the smart Kemba, uh, Tatum, Brown, uh, Hayward, we haven't seen a lot of it. I thought we'd see a lot more of it because I think it's their best chance to build a five-man unit that works the best and potentially can do something that very few other teams can compete with. Obviously, size is is an issue, but if that group uh, can execute, uh, they can really do some special things out there. We haven't seen it. Any thoughts as to why that is, or is that something? Do you want? Do you like having at least one traditionally, somewhat traditionally sized big man and Tice out there? Game situation. Are yeah. you up? Who does the other team have? What's the foul situation? Uh, there's so many things that play into those environments. I think that's your best five. I think we also put way too much emphasis on the first five minutes and the last five minutes as far as the guys that are on the floor. 
I, the, we, five years ago, we saw the beginning of the evolution of positionless basketball, right, leading to what we have now where eventually everybody will be 6'7". Everybody will look like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and won't be bigs or smalls anymore. Uh, but now the new one this year, in the last couple of years, is the starting lineup who's coming off the bench. No one is playing that game better than Miami right now where all of a sudden you have no drop-off. And it's almost as if people – it took them 75 years to realize that – the 10th minute of the game and the 31st minute of the game count the exact same as the first minute and the 48th minute. So it doesn't matter anymore who starts and finishes. It's total minutes and, and combination of players. So, uh, again, I don't want to say sample size because we're at the halfway point of the season, but you've had very few games with all of those guys together. You're saying we haven't seen that lineup a lot. How many times have the Celtics had their five guys? And it's only happened eight times all year. So. I think we'll we'll certainly see more of it because right now, as we talk, those guys are healthy. But the Celtics, when they play, obviously in Atlanta, they didn't have blowout wins. But if they start blowing some of these teams out like they were doing earlier with Cleveland and Charlotte and whatever, the closing lineup is going to be taco. So it, it doesn't really matter what the closing lineup is. It matters what lineup is on the floor when the game gets decided. All right. I got to ask you, too. There seems to be a lot of younger officials in the NBA, and I don't want to go bananas on this, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to go tinfoil hat days, but you know Kemba's ejection um, brings up some interesting discussion, and and a couple of things too, because the points of emphasis and some of that, um, I believe that was a point of emphasis, and yet it didn't go his way, and then he gets ejected for for speaking up on that. Um, I, I find that to be concerning just in general, but also like, I do not like the challenge and the instant replay. Like it's taking a slow part of the game and slowing it down even more like that part, just from the fan experience is a bit of a drop off. I thought I would like the challenge and I thought it might be kind of fun, but in, in application, it's just dragging a game on. I find myself playing something on my phone and then I have to pull myself back out of it for another 20 seconds of basketball. And then I'm back on my phone again, just to get through the final six, four to six minutes of a, of an NBA game. But I also feel like the officiating has gotten too complicated, right? I, this to me is a very simple sport. And I love the human nature, so I'm not trying to jump all over the officials, but I'm almost like if you're not going to rein them in and you're going to make it so hard that they're ejecting guys kind of arbitrarily and they're not, then then why go through all of this detail? Why not go the other direction and just simplify it and have some fun with it? Is it all about advertising? Uh, well, if I were Greg Popovich, I would say, which of those eight questions do you want me to answer first? Um <laughs> Come on, Pop. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> and the answer is Havlicek. Yes. <laughs> <answer> no. is <laughs> um, well, first of all, I would agree that, uh, and I think it's sort of human nature, younger officials might have a tendency more towards uh, premature ejection. But that can't happen. <laughs> uh, that was certainly the case the other night. I would say Excellent. that here's what I like about the challenge. I like, I like new things. I like trying anything. Uh, let's try everything once. I especially like that one day they tried 40 years ago to do an NFL game without announcers because everyone saw what a disaster it was and they've never tried it again. It's kept me employed and now I can have a nice Christmas tree and presents for my son underneath it because that failed. But experiments are how good stuff. Listen, how much technology with the NFL, how much technology is modern day football taken from the XFL? Okay. The XFL is considered this extraordinary failure yet 
so many of the things the XFL brought have has lived on because people tried new things. I like the idea of trying it. There are many fundamental flaws, and it's not the delay. What the concern about the, the delay made people say, well, you only get one challenge per game. That's the problem because one challenge per game creates this entire complicated tier of do I use it now? Because what if I use it now and then there's an even worse call two minutes later and then I don't get it back. I only get one to use. That really becomes a problem. Another. So you're saying one, one for one on the timeouts is your solution on that then? Uh, probably, but then you have too many challenges. I'm saying that that is a, is a problem. Players now, a lot, we had a situation in the, the game the Celtics lost, the home game against Toronto, where Kyle Lowry wanted a challenge in the first quarter. He was furious about a call, and he went right to Nick Nurse and said, you got to use it, and you, you want to sort of stick up for your players, right? When they come at you that strong, you want to do that. Well, now you've used your – either lost the timeout or you used your challenge when you might need it later in the game, and I think – you know, Brad typically, like in typical Brad fashion, spent a lot of time over the summer gaming all these scenarios and preparing for all these situations. But it is flawed. But I love the idea that they are that they are trying it. And yeah, the but they can't do the missed call. What's interesting is you it can doesn't solve that, it, but it doesn't solve the missed call. And the missed call is on the replay. They are watching themselves make a mistake and then saying we can't overturn it. And then there's like this whole element of makeup calls, which is in no other sport has had the predominant overarching discussion of makeup calls than the NBA. Um, not in the NFL, not in hockey, nope. not in baseball. The makeup call is mostly an NBA discussion. Oh, I don't think there's there's any question. And it's listen, it's extremely difficult to look at New Orleans coming in here tomorrow. They lost a game the other night where Ingram got clearly fouled by Gobert. They missed it. Kevin McHale was saying this on uh, NBA TV, Turner, the other night. That You know what? Missed calls happen. Officials are human, just like players are human and coaches are human. The last thing, and I've said this many times, and a lot of people, times people don't want to hear it because we do the anti-Tommy stuff on the radio side. The last thing an official wants to do is alter the outcome of a game. That is not what they wake up in the morning trying to do. They believe what they're doing is right, but they're going to make mistakes. You know, And again, one day – an official's going to wake up and say, you know what, I sh- that was a mistake to throw Kemba out of that game. The second technical came too quick. How's how is how is he going to learn? Learn by making the learn by making the mistakes. That's how a lot of us learn on the on the job. And I think when you go down 22 to three at home, you don't get to complain about a player getting ejected as being the reason you lost. Yeah, and in the NBA, well-established fact is the team that's playing better with the most effort is going to get the benefit of the calls yep. because they're, the ref is already conditioned, especially through the start of the game like that. If you're not playing good ball, they're expecting you to be lazy or you are lazy, and so you're not going to get the benefit of the calls. They're very much subject to the flow of the game. I didn't I didn't factor in the uh, in this uh, whole new video world. Right? I didn't factor in the sun setting behind me. How are we doing on uh... – on light and darkness. It's gorgeous. I don't, I don't want people to miss. Dude, Christmas has you covered. That's that. Nah, that's all that matters, right? <laughs> so, John, uh, where else do you want to go uh, with the conversations over the last? Go ahead. I think he I, wants to revisit Al Horford and the Sixers being. Oh bad. my gosh! Yeah, I can't believe you said. That. What I think the hell were you thinking? You no, know, actually, he is it led never to, coming on with us again. It led to the discussion that I that I <laughs> was that getting many times. And yes, positionless basketball. So this is where I was going with it. Honestly, Al doesn't really want to play center 
part of the reason why Philly was attractive was that he wouldn't have to play center. Yep. And in this game, he's a freaking center. Yep. It's just the truth. And so I, I think that positionless, and I, I realize, Sean, you were alluding to the game is adjusting again. But that's why I don't think Hayward's too much. Actually, I think he's the perfect fit if you're going to play this kind of positionless thing because he is so unselfish and he is a playmaker and he can still impact the game in so many other ways and allow Tatum and Brown when they're going off to go off. I think the thing that's been difficult for Hayward the last few games is when he was at that right pre-injury state, he was driving to the rim with confidence, yeah. and that was actually setting everything else up in this offense, and they've not been able to regain that with him since he came back yet. If they can find that, they're dangerous against any opponent in this league, including the Lakers. Like I think I think they're dangerous, and I like that positionless basketball. And Danny's been talking about that stretch three that's pseudo power forward since we started this show you know, 15 years ago. I mean, this has been kind of what Danny was thinking was going to happen all along. This is the first team he's put together that truly could play at that level, and he's got a coach who buys into it. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. It's funny about the driving to the basket because Hayward is dealing with that issue right now, and Jason Tatum obviously isn't doing it enough. Isn't it funny? Let's see, who's the one guy that took a big, giant leap forward this year and now suddenly is an all-star in the Eastern Conference and is driving all the time without hesitation? Boom. And with patience. And with patience. The fact that he knows how to draw contact now, that's probably the biggest leap about his ability to get into the paint. There was a – the first 10 games or so this year, we kept saying, listen, people are overplaying it because Jalen was really good at the end of last year. People forgot about that, that his second half last year was really good. But but this is clearly, you know, another place. I don't think there's any – you could make the – if you wanted to right now, you want to make the argument who's the first Celtic to go to the All-Star game, you're assuming it's Kemba. Maybe it is, but it's close right now. It's close right now. And I'll tell you what, Jason Tatum – You mean Taco Fall, right? Well, that's, of course, it's taco. Assuming taco is going to vote in. And by the way, I get it as a lot of get off my lawn and taco fall. Whatever happened? This is, if people want to see taco fall in the all-star game, guess what? Then taco, they, they see him in the, it's, it's an all-star game. It's not, we know it's not the best players. It's never been the best players. Since I was eight years old at Shea Stadium, I used to take 500 of those all-star ballots and I would punch holes in them and try to send Dave Kingman and Willie Montanez and the horrible Mets teams of my young childhood to the all-star game because that, that's what it, because I wanted to see it. And then as I was right, because Lima Zilli hit a home run when I was like, Seven or eight years old, he really hit a home run in the All-Star game at the Kingdom uh, in Seattle. Fun, uh, useless baseball trivia fact. Danny Ainge hit three home runs in the major leagues. Two of them were at the Kingdom, which makes no sense whatsoever. Wow. He played in Toronto. He played very few games there, and yet two of the three happened to be in Seattle. Go figure. Home. But All-Star game is the All-Star game. It's a it's a fun show. Let, it's let a celebrity event. Game. Yeah, but, no doubt. Yeah, Charles, Charles who I love. I hate All Star Weekend. That's why I don't watch it. I, I really don't. I don't even watch the dunk, and and I and I make no bones about. It. That's why John knows. Every year we have to have this conversation. He's like, "Oh yeah, I'm all pumped up." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not tuning in." That's Charles said last night. Like, this is why people shouldn't. Why not everyone should get to vote? Because he was so. And again, I love. Although Charles did not. In fairness, Charles did not RSVP to the wedding, so he lost some. He lost some points on that. Um, <laughs> Charles Barkley and Gail King, the only two people who are so afraid to say no. They're like, we know you're not coming. It's okay if you don't come, but you got you gotta RSVP so we can organize the whole I mean don't ever don't ever get married. Oh wait. Sorry, too late. Too late. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say don't ever do it again, but there you yeah. go. 
Um, <laughs> so, John, we got ten minutes left. I never, I never give you any time with with Grandy. So no, I'll no, no, step no, back. Okay. I'll let you know. I, I, I get all excited. I'm gonna go change. So, yeah. so just be him and me then. How about that Al Horford thing he said? He yeah. Wait, what is wrong with him? <laughs> Listen, Sean. Uh, CLNS has been doing a podcast with uh, members of the Celtics radio team, and you know maybe you and I, you know, we can do something. And you know, Joe Sway does a thing with Cedric. Justin is. Hold on. Old- I want, let me let me. I, this I have to say. You asked me if there's something I want to say. This I want to say. Uh, yeah. CLNS is great, and the coverage is great, and I use it because. I'm usually walking home when Brad Stevens does his post-game press conference, so I watch it again on that site. If I have to hear that Michael Felger thing at the start of every time I go on to the YouTube site, I hear Michael Felger saying, Nick. CLNS thing? That's, it's it's real. It's where, I'm like, enough. I've heard, I literally I fight to mute the thing so I don't have to sit through that. Every single time. Other than that, it's been awesome. We've got Bob Ryan. We've got Cedric Maxwell. We've got all these people. Michael Felger. We don't Max need to in a podcast. That is just danger personified. On my happen. way to do this, I'm driving home and I'm listening to his po- his latest podcast, talking about divorces. And I'm thinking, okay, this is this here we are. Here we are. You know, he is. He, it's a it's in a podcast format where you don't have to interweave the game. I mean, you guys have a relationship. You've worked together for so long. But it's it's kind of interesting where he's not you know jumping in the game for us we're not used to that and it's it the, some of the stuff it, I love it because it just the, 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 what the one he did with Michael Cooper I thought was really special that was a lot of fun to listen to it sounds yeah. like it's a lot of our you know the podcast he's doing is a lot of our plane rides and car rides and yeah. a lot of our stuff over the years that's just been him and me and now everybody gets a Gets a hold of it, which is awesome. The other, the only thing is that a lot of times we have a, a freedom. Obviously, we have our show the way it's always been, yeah. and there is a certain freedom that comes with being able to being on live. You tend to say things, and they they can disappear. Right. You don't. Uh, you know, nowadays stuff can get repeated and run over and over again if somebody yes. feels like doing it. But that's the only. It's like sometimes something will happen, and then you just okay, we we'll just quickly move on to the next thing, and it can. There's an advantage. We have taken full advantage of the fact that we are stage actors as opposed to movie stars, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, in terms of our audience and things like that. So, um, you know, the bigger it gets, uh, I just hope that uh, people understand everything Max says has a certain context. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I hope people. You know, considering this is our 600th episode, and, and you know, John, you tied in the podcast theme. You know, when we first were were doing all of this and getting into the locker room, what back in 2006, 2007. What do you think? I know you were an early acceptor, you know, of what we were doing, right? But we we were very. Early I don't accept you now. <laughs> tolerate, tolerate. Right. You come on the show better. when we beg you for weeks at a time. We- no. <laughs> once you what? get yeah all the other guests out of the way once there's a i won't come on within three weeks of gorman you know it's like it's got to have my own the moratorium the gorman the gormatorium yes i know yeah. <laughs> so uh but but honestly you know here we are seriously many many years later and podcasting is thriving you know on yeah. for any team 
I mean, this is a this is an accepted media. Even the blogging thing is kind of morphed into something different. It's all very accepted, but it was almost rogue or renegade. And both you and and Gorman. So there you go. I blew the Gormatorium. But both you and Gorman were, you know, and I'd say Scott Souza was another one, and even Steve Bullpet. It really kind of let us in a little bit and, you know, gave us an audience and gave us credibility when we were trying to emerge on the scene and do these things. Do you think that there what was the attitude when we started this, you know, behind the doors, you know, when they saw the bloggers coming in? Was that a threatening thing? Not necessarily for you. You had a niche and everything. But was that kind of like shaking up media at the time? Or do you think it was people kind of saw it as a natural evolution? I think we just did it as a goof on you guys. Like no one, no one will ever hear this. It'll never go anywhere. <laughs> Short straw. What else to go for? I've always been, you know. I think back to, I think what a lot of people do is, man, I wish they had this when I was a kid. I wish they had this when I was a kid, and whatever. And I just never thought, I never thought I'd be someone. I was as outsider as you get. So there, there are a lot of people in my industry, some of whom are dear friends of mine, who were invited to my wedding, but they were, they got in this industry because their dad was so-and-so and I was as outsider as there could possibly be not knowing if I would ever you know get the break or just scratch but you had some off. of the earliest success of anybody in the industry and that's a lot you know that's whatever it is um I think it's true I and I talk about that a lot because he didn't have that either I and I were both pretty young um you know to be doing this yeah I was it doesn't seem like it when you're 27 and you make the NBA You've been trying to be a major league announcer. That was your goal from the time you were 14 or 15. So it seems like you've been waiting a long time. And I used to do the big show every day on EEI, and I would walk home uh, a couple miles, and I would think, how is it going to happen? Now, when is it going to happen to me? You know, how is that break going to happen? And you're just obsessed with the driving forward and not realizing that looking back now, yeah, I guess I was kind of young. That's the nice thing is my son, who's eight, often reminds me I'm not young anymore. Um you know that you look young though i'll tell that's you all that, that's all you that know matters, right? yeah somebody you look told me, i don't know who's counting who's counting your show somebody just told me apparently and i don't know who counts this stuff whatever i know we did a thousand game but i've got my 2000th game is coming wow. up towards the end of this year yeah you say wow but here's the thing everyone's like wow it's 2000 games and i guess there was a thing about i i did a thousand games before i turned 40 and they're only marv and, and i had done that and you think 2000 games that seems like a lot and then you realize I'm with Mike and Tommy and Max, and they've all done they've all done more than that. Like I'm last on the obviously we've scaled now, but I'm sort of like, I'm still like the runt of the litter here. Which still, that's sort of an unusual thing for a franchise to have loyalty, loyalty in Boston, baby. Yeah, well, longstanding announcers and whatever it is very unusual. I mean, there's going to be a time. I'm not sure about having two broadcast teams together as long as these two. I hadn't really thought of it have been together, but obviously there's going to come a time here. That, you know, we're, we realize now this came up earlier. Somebody was asking. Obviously, there's been some uh, I don't think I'm talking out of school to know. Obviously, Scal has worked his way into the mix and Kyle's done a couple of games on TV. And there's been a lot of conversation about all this. And then you realize Tommy's in his 80s. Mike is in his 70s. Max is in his 60s. And I'm not too far away from a big number myself. And you know what? Like, we're lucky. People are like, well, this you're missing a game here and people are missing a game here. We're, I mean, I wouldn't like challenge anybody at softball right now with the group we have like we got guys breaking a max coming up knee surgery and like tommy's been in it like let's not get carried away so there's going to come my point is that the tommy and mike randy and max thing 
hopefully we've got more years ahead, but it's been a long time of that. And that's very unusual to, uh, to have. So that's, that's been kind of a cool thing. It's a spoiler riches, honestly. And it's like the, the, the success the team has had. We've been blessed with the four of you. I mean, that has been an amazing run on, on you know, we, we have great teams that, that, you know, on TV and radio that cover all, all four uh, teams, I guess less so though TV and football, but uh, you know, we're blessed with uh, these, these, and I, and I, I'm not just saying this because you're here. We clearly have the best group. Uh, I'll take that foursome over any other foursome. Maybe not in, in, uh, you know, softball, maybe but, a golf, you know, golf, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, wouldn't, you know, <laughs> If there's an Anchorman Rumble, I'm yes. not sure I, I'm going with us anymore <laughs> with this particular group. You know, it's like, oh, geez, Max killed a guy with a trident. <laughs> lay low for a while. If you're going to pick a guy. <laughs> Max is Rick Tamlin. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. But it's That's been, great. It's a good thing. I mean, we're lucky in this town. I, I did, as you guys know, I did a summer with Joe Castiglione doing the Red Sox. Uh, that's what six nine two thousand thirteen the year they won the they won the series and I marvel at that at his that was a wake up call when you have there's hundred and I didn't do every game but that schedule and I mean Max would hang himself with his shoelaces if he had to do one hundred and sixty two games <laughs> you're in the clubhouse all day and it's an entirely different animal on a lot of levels but yeah I think we've been blessed on a variety of uh, on a variety of levels here but it's I and I point that out not because it's us but because Particularly when it comes to the people that love Mike and Tommy together, I think it's worth pointing out. I remember during the championship season, as it was going on, and I'm sure we talked about this because you guys were doing the show then. I spent a lot of that year sort of as the town crier saying, look at this. Like, be in the moment as this is happening because this is not – what's happening here is not going to happen again. This is uh, this is unbelievably special. As it turns out, it was one of the best teams in the history of the NBA. And they started 29-3, and and they beat the living daylights out of everybody, and they had the double-digit scoring differential, and they were fun to watch. But you have to be in that moment. And what I'm saying is, like, Mike and Tommy have been a thing for so long, and there's just that pairing. And, again, there's, there's a lot of discussion when you get to a certain age in our business about the Hall of Fame and things like that. And I think – it would be a great precedent. I've started to say this publicly, and I'll say it here too. If do it Mike, now, if Mike or Tommy are going to go into the broadcasting wing, uh, the uh, the basketball hall of fame, they should go together because yeah. that sets the precedent. Because it's the way they fit together that's made yep. them Mike and Tommy. And again, I said, and I obviously, as you guys know, I love Scout to death, and you know, we've had a blast. We've done a few games over the years, and did that one a couple months ago. Um, but for people that love Mike and Tommy together appreciate you know who knows right like who knows with any of us uh hit by a bus tomorrow but point is let's appreciate this while it's uh while it's still going on indeed well john i know you've got to get going we've uh we've done a very very good job with 45 minutes i i'd I'd love to champion that that cause i don't know we got to elevate that narrative you can't you yeah you're dark oh Oh, light. To tell me, right? <laughs> I gotta set this up as my yeah, Adam Schefter shot. Stop talking. <laughs> I just, I just clocked it. You were talking for like 20 minutes. You brew, you, you took three breaths. No. That's, that's what I do. That's <laughs> what you do. Hey, it listen. You in, do. in my line of work, anybody that uses one word when they could just as easily use ten, this isn't trying hard enough. 
<laughs> yeah, that's my motive. I know you. At least the words you use, you know, tell a story. I just use them. <laughs> um. So, Grady, what do you want? As, as we, I know we had a wrap because we both got a. We, we're also well along. John's uh, coaching basketball. I don't know if you knew that. But uh, he's got a travel team, and his boys are playing. And um, so he, you got a game tonight, don't you? Practice. 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 Talk about practice, not a game. We talk oh, about practice. I just I, – two things. Number one, I want to talk about coaching. I just referenced that because we ended up on an intangible – on a tangent last night that – and this is part of – it's combination of institutional – what you want in your announcers. Combination of institutional memory and dementia where you just start wandering into these <laughs> things. But we started talking about, uh, I thought there was a significant game in the 2002 season. The game that turned it around was a game in Philadelphia. And I referenced it because the Sixers have now beaten the Celtics four times in a row. They hadn't done that since 2002. And the game that snapped that streak was a game in Philadelphia in early March after the trade, Tony Delk and Rodney Rogers were big in it. when Derek Coleman was with the Sixers and Iverson yes. and the Celtics finally snapped the win streak winning in Philadelphia and it catapulted them down the stretch, and obviously they beat them in the playoffs, and that game came up, and that playoff series came up, not just because it was one of the great moments of that era, was that fifth and deciding game back when it was best of five at the Garden. Celtics made like 23s, which back then was, now it's just Tuesday, right? Yeah. They make 23s, but back then it was insane. The Garden was going crazy, and that game remembered for not only the Celtics going to the second round for the first time in 10 years, but two days later, there was a press conference in Philadelphia, and that was the famous Not a game. Allen Iverson game. It was Iverson getting eliminated. Everyone forgets it was the Celtics eliminating Iverson in 02 that yes. led to that news conference two days later. But I just we're, started. Wearing a Red Sox hat. Wearing a Red Sox hat. At that. Um, I just, I coached my son's, uh, I'm going to do it again this year, coached my son's little league team. And it, what a different, being around sports your whole life and then coaching seven, eight, nine, 10-year-olds. It was just, I. <laughs> We got we won our league championship and went to the Mayor's Cup in Cambridge. And without going into the details, we had a one-run lead going to the bottom of the last inning and had some – after we got the first out on a great play, some bad stuff happened and errors and whatever, and we, we ended up losing uh, at the, you know, in the bottom of the last inning. And it was just like the most devastating moment. I'm like, my son is crying and I'm holding him because we lose the championship game. And I texted Brad. I'm like, coaching sucks. <laughs> I just can't. It's like people – you'll never – understand it doesn't matter what level but it was it's amazing i recommend to everyone who has never done it and if your kids are too young or whatever it is um yeah it was an extraordinary experience i I, I I coached i coached my daughter's basketball team sean and and you talk about enjoying it when you have it and i'll just tell you right now like when she told me she didn't want to play basketball again you know that was like the end of my coaching especially my favorite sport and uh that's heartbreaking you think coaching sucks when you lose a championship game wait wait till they tell wait till you can't coach anymore games period <laughs> that's rough i told this story including last year remember that i just started to take advantage of my little position in the world to get some things done on my bucket list and one of the people i had never met and i've gotten to meet a lot of people in my industry but i never gotten to meet mike emmerich and the bruins made the run last year and of course they were here in May, as the conference finals were going on, so I pulled a few strings or whatever and got an audience with, with Mike Emmerich, who I'd never gotten to meet, and I go over to Bruins practice, and we sat down and talked, and I was telling him that I had to go because I was coaching my son's Little League team in the afternoon, he, he was asking how I mixed those two things, and I told him uh, this was probably my best summation of how last year went 
for Max and I trying to follow this team and document that team that when we got to Milwaukee for game five, I had a game, I had a little league game to coach a couple of days later. And I literally, by late in the first quarter, I was making the lineup in my head like <laughs> because it was so obvious what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it was just um, so clear. As I said, that was the open. The only time I, the only literary reference I pulled last year was um, the, the, the movie reference I made, the Anthony Hopkins movie um, where he, plays uh at the end of at, at the, i'm trying to forget remember the name of the movie now he's nominated for academy award in 1968 for it where at the end of the movie they're about to come get him um and he sort of betrayed the throne and they're pounding at the door and you know he pulls out his sword he said we're going to fight to the end and the guy who's with him who knows they're about to get mauled and destroyed and have it end he says you fool as if it matters how a man falls down and he said when the fall's all that's left it matters a great deal and that was kind of my thought of like last year, like you knew it was going to end. It was just a matter of was there going to be fight at the end of last year. And I bring that up only because a little three game losing streak in January after <laughs> everything that happened last year. Uh, maybe it's it's a time for a little perspective on what this year was supposed to be and how, how so many people sat there last year and said, just give me a team I can root for. Well, you not only got that. You got an elite team playing at an elite level as well, which has been pretty impressive. And as I said, when Ennis Cantor tweeted the thing about him winning the 24-7 title at Madison Square Garden, the WWE thing that he did, uh, I don't want to say that – that was in August. I said, I don't want to say this year's already been more fun than last year, but this year's already been more fun than last yeah, year. Yeah, no. That was, that was in August. So uh, I would say let's uh, enjoy the run, and Jalen Brown's going to be in the All-Star game, and there's a lot of really cool stuff happening here. And – I think what struck me is everyone's saying, boy, what if we're not as good as Philadelphia? You're not supposed to be. <laughs> you know, you were under your underdogs. The Celtics will be the underdog, but they're the underdog you're going to want to be. Uh, I would imagine the Eastern Conference. And they've got a chance to do some damage and mess up some real seasons. Because now, as calamitous as last year was for the Celtics, if the Sixers don't beat the Celtics in the playoffs, it's going to be that all the pressure is going to be on them. Yeah, not us. Yeah. That, Although, keep in mind, it. keep this in mind, too. Last year, one of the breaks the Celtics got last year is they had a cupcake in the first round. They got the Pacers without Oladipo, and they got a, uh, you know, uh, Glass Joe in the first round last year. That's not going to happen. No, but, but sometimes, you know, sometimes getting battle tested in the first round is better for you. No, I don't disagree with that, and it could, it could be a good thing. Just I think people need to be aware that there was – it's been 22 years – since the team won 50 games in the East and opened on the road, that streak is going to wow. end on April wow. 16th. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, we have to wrap. Sean Grandy, everybody. There is something to be said. We didn't talk about the evenness between the two West and East. Because uh, it cha- it's ever since I tweeted that, it's like East is kind of <laughs> like a what? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Sean Grandy for the 600th episode. Thanks a lot for all your support over the years. We've been doing it for 15 or 16, and you've always been there for us when we've reached out. Big, big thanks, man. Congratulations, guys.
This broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke. A heartfelt thank you for everybody tuning in. And remember that you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show. And for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Media, Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poole, and thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live and 600 episodes. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>